What is the loudest sound you can ever remember hearing? For me, as I was thinking about that this week, the loudest thing I can ever remember hearing is one time when I was running back into my parents' house through the front door. I was just standing in their front yard uh, during a thunderstorm, and I thought I saw a bolt of lightning pass horizontally between me and the house. The noise was completely deafening, utterly terrifying. I ran into the house, a complete mess. I'm sure the lightning wasn't actually right there in front of me. Months later, we found a quarter that had been dug up by, furrowed up and had been the grounding point for lightning, maybe a hundred feet or so away, off in a side yard. But the flash was somewhere in my field of vision and filled my vision such that it looked to me like it was right in front of me. I must have been nearly as close as they were in this photograph. What is the loudest sound you can ever remember hearing? Loud isn't always just about decibels. I'm sure that something has impacted my eardrums more than that lightning bolt and yet, that one seems to stick in my mind more nonetheless. Loudness is also about significance. About how we experience it, how big it seems. Depending on who you ask, the loudest thing in the universe is either a black hole at the center of the Perseus galaxy cluster, or... It's a newborn whose snuffled breathing pauses for just one moment too long. Loudness can be very much in the ear of the hearer. Psalm 29 imagines God's might in things that are incredibly loud. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forests bare and in his temple all say glory. The raging of a wildfire, of a hurricane. God's voice echoing not just as something loud in your ear, a whip crack, or some, uh, someone slamming a door, or even a lightning bolt, but echoing as loudness writ large across a whole landscape, across a whole continent, loud with sighs. A storm-swept sea, a glacier calving, an earthquake that makes your entire environment tremble. Psalm 29 causes us to imagine God's overwhelming power, overwhelming scope. A reminder that God is great and we are tiny. But then right beside this high-flying, loud-shouting psalm, we read Isaiah 42. In this passage, the one who has been chosen, the one in whom God delights, God says, I have put my spirit upon him. 
He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. These words from the prophet Isaiah are words for refugees. As the Judean people are being forced into exile, and then as they are figuring out how to cross the borders to go back. And a refugee has heard enough of loud noises, of shouts, of cataclysms and earthquakes. The kind of king, the kind of God that a refugee dreams of is quite different than the kind of God that the psalmist spoke to. The God that a refugee dreams of is indeed a divine warrior, one who can protect vulnerable people, a caring shepherd, one who knows their needs and looks after them. And later on in Isaiah, a woman in labor who gives birth to the most vulnerable, providing the very source of their life. And yet, What the writer in Isaiah may have missed is that these calmer, quieter, more protective figures that the suffering servant is modeled after, that we see modeled in Christ, are actually, all of them, rather well known for their loud voices. The battlefield commander, the shepherd in the field, And the woman in labor, all of them carry that cedar-splitting voice of the Lord of power from Psalms. But crucially, when we read Isaiah, we see that this loudness, this greatness of the God which surrounds us, the God that directs black holes in their courses, and earthquakes in their shattering, all that loudness doesn't come just willy-nilly for no reason at all. But God's voice echoes out of tender care for this vulnerable, easily crushed thing. In Isaiah's case, the foreigner in a foreign land, the people of Israel in exile. Refugees dream of salvation. And they understand salvation in its most basic form, that it is healing, it is survival. Refugees dream of a highway in the desert, water in the wilderness, fertility in the wasteland where they have been forced to live. Those are the prophecies spoken by Isaiah. The prophecies our Lord Jesus came to fulfill. So we have this paradox, this great mystery. God, whose voice is heard in the carving of craters when meteors hit the earth. Whose voice is heard in the revolutions that turn societies upside down, writ large across the sky. That God cares about the small, 
cares most especially for the small, the downtrodden, the vulnerable, and their suffering. And it's because God is big enough, broad enough, strong enough, maybe you could even say loud enough to know the truth. That small stuff matters. That big changes only make make a real difference in history, in our lives, in God's plan for this creation, if they lead to small changes. What good is a nationwide Revolt, revolt, a change in government if it doesn't lead to one more well-fed baby, to one more educated kid, to one more cared-for older person. What good are these big changes, are these grand shifts and cataclysms if the small stuff doesn't happen? A bruised reed he will not crush, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, but in faithfulness bringing forth justice. God treasures our frailty, cares for our weakness. In light of God's strength and in God's eyes, all of us are but a breath away from death one jiggle of the ground from all of our buildings collapsing. Perhaps this is why in Acts 10, Peter, whose eyes have been opened by the death and resurrection of Christ, really feels that all of our human differences don't amount to a heap of beans from God's perspective. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, he says. But in every nation... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is accepted. These differences that we make such a great deal over are something that God, from God's perspective, couldn't possibly be a barrier. We think that culture, language, We think that these things that are human, that are created by humans, our ways of dressing, even our ways of worshiping, are barriers to God whose voice shakes the earth and flows in the paths of the planets. How absurd we creatures can be. Matthew 3 tells that when John saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he backpedaled. John, who, more than any in his generation, knew of the greatness of God, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. God knew that it wasn't necessary For Jesus to be baptized by John. God did it so that the people around, people, the people watching, could be drawn in, could understand what was going on. God wasn't after the water. God was after the people. 
reaching out to them in a way that they could understand. From these scriptures this week, the message that I was left with was quite simple, and I won't tarry much longer in giving it. It was that in God's view, we are not to sweat the small stuff, but we are to sweat the small ones. God doesn't care about little details. God cares about little people. Their suffering is his. Their joy is his. That is God's son, the beloved, in whom God is well pleased, the one who cares for the weak. This comes to us, perhaps, as true gospel, when we have moments that force us to recognize that we may be the bruised reeds. That it's not just refugees in ancient Israel 3,000 years ago who are a weekly burning candle, but sometimes that weekly burning candle is our own spirits, our own heart our own lives. So if you are, or when you are, knowing, know, you know yourself that you are a bruised reed, remember this. You are God's top priority. And through you comes all the, the through you comes all the greater and more significant things in this world. We can learn to cultivate the power that we still have in that vulnerable state. From God's perspective, the big stuff only matters insofar as it affects the small. And the small stuff, in the small stuff lies the seeds of true change, of true action. We still have tremendous power, no matter who we are, to make a difference in the lives that are closest to us, our family, friends, a gram of compassion, a gram of care there echoes more loudly in God's ears than the detonation of a supernova. A gram of Christ-like compassion, of faith, can cause mountains to leap in the sea as far as God is concerned. Psalm 29 is right. God is great. And God's voice does shatter stone and echo in the heavens. That is surely true. But Isaiah is right too. When we recognize that loudness isn't just about decibels, nor is it just about size, but loudness is about significance, then the loudest prayers God hears is the suppressed whimper the catch in the throat of every person who has truly suffered. In fact, I say for certain that the pain and pleading of a weak, vulnerable person weighs much more in God's sight than any amount of prayers said 
with rage and hate, no matter how many thousand people may echo them. It is a paradox, a great mystery. The might of surging seas, earthquakes, volcanoes, and solar flares, the raging power of creation cares for the smallest child who suffers. We are not abandoned. A bruised reed he will not break. 